Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? Man, I don't know what to do when Devin's like saying nice things about me. When's the last time you had like a super good looking man look you in the eyes and tell you how much he loves you? And you weren't on a date, you know? Like, okay, here we go. I feel good. Um, uh, if you don't like me, it's okay. I'm leaving in a little bit. I was nervous hearing about all these guys who came and preached the last few weeks, and then you got me today. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to mess this whole thing up. No, I'm really honored to be here with you. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, we're going to hang out with Dr. Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Um, and... Uh, Today, I want to share a message that's going to set up our series coming up in the next few weeks called Disciple, about the power of walking with one person. And I just, you know, I'm trying to think about, like, how I got here today, and it's really cool to hear Devin and Tara's thoughts on when they were under my leadership, and they grew exponentially, and it's great to know that because I never, I didn't feel that. I wasn't like, oh, man. Devin's experiencing exponential growth. Praise be to God. Look at me. I'm just slaying the game. <laughs> That's not how I felt. You know, I woke up every day with insecurities, hoping I was doing the right thing, trying to be faithful with what's in front of me, but not being able to see the whole picture. And there's someone in the room today, you can't see the whole picture of what God is doing in your life and through you. And because you can't see the whole picture, you're starting to retract from your life. You're starting to not care as much. You're starting to let apathy be your guide. You're starting to be a consumer everywhere you're going, and you're wondering, why is it that I don't feel like I have purpose? There's another person in the room, if you're honest, you don't know this God thing is real. And you're on this search, on this journey. And this may be your last Sunday in church because you're like, I'm going to give this thing one more shot. And if it don't work, if I don't feel something, I'm out. Well, this is the sermon for you, um, and the title of it is called Get in Position. Get in position. Your life cannot change if you stay still. There's no one's life who got changed because they stayed in their home, and a billionaire found them and said, I've been looking for someone just like you. <laughs> Will you come run Amazon? I'm Jeff Bezos. I, I, I just know you're a great leader. Will you come run this thing? Life happens along the way. Uh, a student asked her Stanford professor, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, how did she become Secretary of State? How did you become Secretary of State? And she had her pen and paper out, and she was looking for the timeline of how do I repeat her success because she wanted to go into politics, and she wanted to serve her country. And she's like, ah, well, your first step in becoming Secretary of State is to become a failed pianist. Condoleezza Rice, her dream in her life was to become a concert pianist. And then her freshman year at Stanford University, she realized that her whole life, training for this thing, she didn't have enough skill to pay the bills. She was in a room full of people who had 10 times more gift and 10 times better work ethic. And she's like, I don't think I'm going to make this thing work. A friend of hers said, hey, you should try this Russian history class. And she took the class, fell in love with Russia, 
fell in love with Russian, became fluent. And that was her pathway that ultimately led her to becoming Secretary of State. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, highest paid actor right now. Um, I saw him do a commercial about the power of the nose in your life. He wanted to be a football player. And he's big enough, he's strong enough, he's talented enough, but it didn't go his way. And in the middle of his failure of not making the team, he said, you know what? I think I'm going to go into the family business of wrestling. He is the third generation of wrestlers. And his dad said, hey, son, you're making the biggest mistake of your life going into the family business because his dad spent a lifetime wrestling in small towns all around America from one sea to the end and going back and forth. He's like, you're making the biggest mistake. And he's like, I don't know, there's something in me that says I got to take this step. So are you ever going to get to the Bible? We'll get there. We're coming. We're coming. But that no led him to a yes he didn't even know he could dream about. Get in position. Uh, My family's here, and I got a picture of them. They're really cute. Um, We've got three kids and one Joshua. That's the way we count. Uh, The one to the right on my lap, that's Joshua. He's amazing, but he's a whole other ecosystem. So if you hear screaming, I'm sorry about your kids. I don't know what's happening back there, but Joshua's there. So just... Um, one of the reasons why I wrote this sermon is because of a question that someone threw on a, or more of a comment someone threw on my Facebook a few months ago that I can't get out of my head. And let me show you the next picture here. Um, I had uh, someone talk about uh, how dumb religion is and how useless it is. And that person grew up with me, and uh, I went to the same private Christian school I went to, but his opinion of faith was the exact opposite of mine. I can't think of anything more useless. That's really dumb. Um, and then that got connected to another friend of mine who, uh, great guy, his father discipled my dad when he became a Christian in the 50s in Guyana in South America. Not Ghana, that's Africa. Guyana in South America. His dad discipled my dad. Disciple means walk with someone and talk to him about Jesus. It's really that complicated. His dad discipled my dad. And because of what his dad did in my dad's life, it changed my world. And I told him, and I was getting ready to move to Charleston, South Carolina to go back into ministry. So the way God uses me is he's always moving me. So I spent six years in the corporate world as a banker, five years, eight months, 24 days. Sounds like prison time. It felt like that for me. Um, and then I went into ministry, and I hated big churches. I thought mega churches were fake and horrible. And then God said, ha, 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 you're going to go work at a mega church. And so I got to serve at a church called Elevation Church. Most of the songs we sung today were songs written out of that house. And I got to see God do crazy things. I got to baptize over 1,000 people. That's crazy to say out loud. Um, I got to uh, do over 60 different weddings. I got to do more funerals. You don't really count funerals as like, you know, street cred, but like I got to do a lot of funerals and I got to see God do things I never thought possible. And in the middle of that, God said, you need to move. And so I went into the corporate world and it was great because it came with a big old paycheck. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. You love me. And then about three months in, I realized that God wasn't going to keep me there for long. And in the pathway of life, God's going to move you. He's going to move you all the time. And if you ever want to be used by God, it's going to feel like you're being used. 
it's gonna feel like being a tool in a toolbox. And some days you're being used every day. Some days you're gonna feel like you're put up and you're left behind and no one can see you. But if you stay connected to the one who made you, you'll always be able to find purpose in every situation. In every situation. And so um, one of the things that God did in that season of being in the corporate world, my dad got really sick and he lived with us the last year of his life. And um, we were able to bury my dad with dignity because I was in the corporate world. Um, and right after he passed away, I hung out with my cousin, Martin. I call him cousin. He's not real cousin. Side note, black people will say cousins. It's not always blood, okay? Just sorry. Just wait to break it to you. Uh, but my cousin, Martin, um, his dad discipled my dad, and he, he heard I was going back into ministry. And he's like, in 2021, I can't think of anything more useless than a sermon I can't think of anything more useless than the church. And he just kind of threw it out there. I can't tell you what I said to him because I went hard in the paint and I cut low, you know. <laughs> I pulled out stuff like from like when he was 16, you know. But one of the things is, is like when he said that, I think about that all the time. What's the point of a sermon? What's the power of a church? Like why does this all matter? And then there's pictures like, this. So the girl um, I'm hugging, she just got baptized. She got baptized because she saw something in her sister's life that was undeniable. And she said, I want some of that. In, in, this, in this picture, I've got people whose kids just graduated the Naval Academy. I've got people who are just retiring. I've got people who are going through a divorce because weeks after this photo, they found out of crazy infidelity. I've got people who are going through the best years of their life where they're growing more than I ever thought. Do you see Tara in the center in the back there? Little Tara Thacker? Uh, we put her on a stool so you could see her. Um, uh, like, and then when I realized, is like, man, the purpose of the church, the power of a sermon is the fact that we as broken people can get connected to a holy God and he can actually turn us on and connect us to the very thing he designed us for before we were born. My mom had seven miscarriages before she had me. The eighth one, when she was pregnant with me in the early 80s, she just moved to America because she had to have an open heart surgery. The doctor said, you need to abort this baby because you will not survive childbirth. And she said, God gave me a miracle, and I'm going to see it through. And my mom didn't die in childbirth. She got to raise me for 31 years. And I've seen that. But that's the power of the community of believers that strengthen each other and say, hey, you can keep moving forward. That's the power of the church. Because of Christ, I've been able to see God do incredible things. I lived in a retirement community, and God brought my wife. Doesn't make sense. You're supposed to meet your wife when you go to University of South Carolina and there's 28,000 people. That's what makes sense. You're not supposed to meet your wife in a retirement community where 75% of the people are over the age of 55. That's where I met my wife. Doesn't make sense. But God doesn't work in what makes sense. He works in his divine timing. And so 
Right now, there's someone in this room who you're seeing things through the lens of your eyes, and God's been trying to tell you, you walk by faith and not by sight. Because when you walk by faith, there are options that you will never think that are possible that are right in front of you. And so today, I just want to remind you to get in position, to get in position. Open your eyes to see that God wants to use you right where you're at. When God says move, move. When he says move, no, it's not about a position. It's not about a place, but it's always about people. And I I really believe that what we're seeing happen at Bridge Church is just the beginning. I really believe that a second service is going to happen and 400 people are going to start showing up. And we're going to start helping serve our community. Well, what's the power of one more church? The power of one more church is that there's a whole group of people who aren't going to every other church in St. Louis because they need what God is doing in this house. They need what God is doing through you. And so let's look at God's word today. I'm really excited about this passage of scripture. I'm really um, looking forward to like diving in with you. And so here's something before we go to the scripture. I really want to challenge you to do one thing this week. Just one thing. Take 30 minutes at some point in the next seven days and go back to this scripture and say, man, what do I see in it? So uh, let it play on the Bible app on your way to work, okay? Take you five minutes to read it. Go back and look at it and say, well, what did I see? Well, how does this apply to my world? What is God saying in this scripture? And see what happens, okay? Because the power of God's word is the most important thing that we will do today. So I don't want to gloss over reading this passage of scripture as if it's like this uh, brief semicolon in what I really want to say. This is the thing. This is the main event, okay? So let's look at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to pick up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What, stands in, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. 
Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled, preaching the gospel in all the towns he reached, Caesarea. So let's go verse by verse, and I want to just highlight some things to you. So you look at the scripture, we're going to start with verse 26, and I just want to go through some highlights from each of these verses, all right? Here we go. So, verse 26, angel of the Lord says, go to the south road, Jerusalem and Gaza. Um, God didn't instruct Philip anything about the what? Zero. He just told him where. Verse 27, on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch who went to Jerusalem to worship. Um, his movement to where led him to a who? His movement to a where led him to a who? I feel like I need to quit my job. I feel like there's another opportunity. Oh, man, I feel like we need to move our house. We need to buy this house. We need to do this thing. I think we need to pull our kids from school. Well, whenever you figure out the where, just know that your purpose is locked up in the who. Verse 28, on his way home, he was reading Isaiah. Um, This man traveled over a thousand miles to go to church. A thousand miles. Not on Southwest Airlines, but by chariot. But by a caravan of chariots. This man put in some work to be on the search for God, but he went to church and God didn't meet him at church. You're telling me this man went a thousand miles and where he thought he would meet God, God had met him on the way back? God's timing is perfect. And search for him, not the trappings of what you expect him to be. Verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. Sometimes God will tell you to go to a specific spot and you need to do it. And when you go to that specific spot, God will always show you the who. I'm sitting at Global Leadership Summit three weeks ago in Chicago, Illinois. And um, I'm, I'm sitting there in this, this great leadership summit. And I wrote down this list of things I expect. Something that you should write every once in a while is what you expect. What do I expect from Bridge Church? What do I expect from Sunday? Take five minutes next Sunday and write it before you walk in and just be shocked at what God does. So one of the things I was praying for is divine connections. I was like, I was praying that God would just connect me with someone I already have known, that we just have this crazy connection. And so I'm hanging out with a bunch of my friends. I go there with 20 other people from my church, and um, I feel led to go downstairs. Well, none of the conference is downstairs. So I'm kind of breaking rules going downstairs. And as soon as I'm walking downstairs, I run into Devin Thacker. I haven't seen Devin Thacker in three years. And we have this crazy conversation. And in that moment when I see Devin, I'm like, dang, this is the reason why I came to GLS. And I don't know why God sent me over 1,000 miles to come to St. Louis for this Sunday. But it's my job just to be faithful with where he puts me because it's always about a who. Verse 30. Philip ran and said, do you understand? I love Philip's urgency because when God placed him where, he knew it's always about a who because he knows God. God didn't have to tell him 
find this person because he knew it's about a who. And so he runs up to that chariot and he, sa- he hears, and he hears the problem of the guy. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? His assignment wasn't about the chariot. It was about the person in it. Your assignment is not about your job. You're going to work every day, doing your job, thinking that's the whole point of you being there. Your whole point of your job is about the people. You're wondering why, like, being a parent is what you thought it was going to be like. But you're forgetting that it's not just about getting it done. It's about loving the one that's right in front of you. You're wondering why your neighbor doesn't cut his grass the right way. When you forget that God even gave you the money to buy that house so you could love that neighbor. I am tired of my life when I get so consumed with the what's of this world and I forget about the who. You know, a Ford F-150 Platinum uh, with four-wheel drive that's red uh, drives it the same way as a Kia does. But when we get our pride wrapped up in things that don't matter... We can never serve people around us because the enemy knows if I can get you wrapped up in things, I cannot let you serve people. I don't know why that, that's probably just for me. (laughs) I'm going to just go preach to myself in the back. You selfish person. Okay, I'm good. Everything's better. I'm fine. Um, Then the Ethiopian eunuch responds in verse 31, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There is someone in the room who's searching for faith. You don't have it all figured out and you're trying to make this thing work, but you have not invited someone in. Here's this man who's an Ethiopian official. He's rich, he's wealthy, He's the one in charge. The caravan's all about him, but yet he's bold enough to ask real questions about what he's struggling with. And he invites someone to come in his world with him. You know your pride is probably holding you back from actually getting breakthrough? When when you're bold enough to walk alongside someone else, man, there's something pretty special about being known. It's scary. There's risk involved. If you love people well, you're always going to be hurt at some point. But when you keep letting people in, God can do a breakthrough. Question, God could have spoken to the man in the chariot by himself. He didn't need any help. Why he send the angel to Philip and not to the eunuch? Because he knew that there was a sermon that only Philip could share to the eunuch. Same with you. 32 and 33. Um, so we see this, this uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 53. This was a prophecy 740 years before the moment they're standing in about who Jesus is. I love this. And this man's like saying, I don't really understand this. Who is this prophet talking about? And then verse 35, we see that Philip started right where he's at and pointed him right to Jesus. He started right where he's at, and he pointed him right to Jesus with the gospel. Then the eunuch, when he got answers to his question and it was revealed to him, you can see he has a propensity to immediate action. Look, there's water. 
what can stand in the way of me being baptized? Have you ever seen that uh, video of the kid baptizing themselves? Oh, man, you need to go find it. Just, just Google, because you Google all the time. Google, kid baptizes himself. And it's like this five-year-old kid. He's at this Baptist church. Everyone's in robes. And the pastor's doing all the stuff pastors do. And the kid's like, <laughs> and just baptizes himself. He's like, I'm not going to wait for you. And that's the, the propensity we see for the eunuch. Side note, new Christians energize old Christians. Old Christians stabilize new Christians. And so if you're wondering why you lost your passion, it's probably because you're not in proximity to someone who's trying to figure it all out. And you know what? You grow when you have to explain things that you think are simple that are really complicated. How is Jesus fully God, fully man? You ever had a kid ask you a question? You're like, okay, here we go. You need that. Verse 38, stop the chariot. Philip baptized him right then and there. Verse 39, suddenly Philip was taken away, but the eunuch kept on rejoicing. If a man just showed you who Jesus was, was teleported in front of you, like just beam me up Scotty, like moved away, wouldn't you be shocked about that? But guess what? Philip did his job and pointed him to Jesus. So when he disappeared, that man was like, I'm still got something to rejoice about. And sometimes we think it's all about us when it's really about pointing people to God. Verse 40. Philip was transported 20 miles away. And here's the crazy part about Philip. Right before he meets the eunuch, there was this dude named Simon the sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer was doing all these crazy tricks in the neighborhood. And then he sees uh, what Philip is doing. He's astonished. He starts walking with God. Philip converts this dude, but never gets to relish in it. And some of us have this retirement mentality about faith, that we think that once we've done something for Jesus one period of time in our life, that that counts until we die. But Philip kept getting reassigned once parts of his purpose was met. And there's someone in the room today, you know I'm talking to you, and you just haven't gotten back in the game because you need to get in position. Okay, so we've talked about the scripture. We've went through verse by verse. I want to talk to two people in the room today. I want to talk to the Phillips in the room, and I want to talk to the eunuchs in the room. The Phillips in the room, that represents everyone who believes you have faith in Jesus. You know that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Don't even stand, don't clap, but that's one group. The other group, you're the eunuch. You don't know Jesus yet. You're on your pathway. You're searching for him. You have real doubts with your faith. You may have stepped away, but you're trying to figure out how do I come back. And I think the scripture says some powerful things to the Phillips in the room and the eunuchs in the room. Side note, I'm trying really hard to say eunuch and not smile. <laughs> that's that's um, a high requirement for your resume, okay? Do you want this job? Well, <laughs> we need some things from you. All right. Um, to the Phillips in the room. That's all I got. I promise. Once again, I'm leaving. It's okay. There's better preachers coming next week. Uh, to the Phillips in the room, um, I want to say this. When God tells you where, look for who. When God tells you where, look for who. And sometimes where is wrapped up in your frustrations. Sometimes you see problems that others don't see. 
And maybe that's an indicator that you need to get in position to solve that problem. But when God tells you where, look for who. One of the things that I struggled with going into the corporate world the second time is I knew God told me where, but the who was so dirty and just crazy. And I was like, I don't really want to serve these people every day. But then when I started taking some small moments to start serving people and start caring for who they are, all of a sudden I got linked into my purpose. And so when God tells you where, look for who. And so let's do an inventory. Where are you going to be this week? Uh, Gym, school, home, work, family that you don't really want to be around or that you really love, friends, um, uh, you may be traveling. Think about the where, and then who are the people that are standing in front of you, and what can you do to serve them? So, uh, work. What if you could see yourself as a servant, as a champion, and as a cheerleader to people you worked with every day? Well, to do that, the bare minimum is that you have excellence with what you do, because that paves the way for a testimony. So then you say, okay, well, how do I serve someone? You may grab them coffee in the morning. It may look like saying hello. You know, one of the simplest things I've learned in my life is just the power of saying hello every day to people you work with. Just because you saw them yesterday doesn't mean that you didn't greet them for that day. Saying hello. Finding a way to serve them. How do you champion them? How do you come alongside them and say, hey, you're doing a really great job, and I think you should apply for that thing over there? Cheerleader, celebrating what people do. If you do those things, then it's crazy all of a sudden people start telling you their real problems. Because 100% fact is that everyone is struggling with something. And honestly, people are just looking for someone who actually cares just enough to listen. Second thing. There's always common ground at the cross. There's always common ground at the cross. These two men had nothing in common. This Jewish dude meets this black guy in this road. Uh, One's super wealthy. One's just a normal guy. They have nothing that should connect them. But the cross did. And because we know that everyone around us has a need for Jesus you know there's a thing that connects us all. I've always thought in my life that um, I had to fix who I was. And one of the things that I thought I was going to fix that with is going in the military. So five times I tried to go in the military and God shut the door. I'm the only dude in war that can't get in the Marine Corps, okay? (laughs) I'm the only one. But God told me no. And I thought I had to fix something in me to like be better. And when I realized that God built me for a purpose, all of a sudden he started using me in a new way. And it's crazy how over the last 12 years in ministry, I've gotten to minister to Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Marine dudes. I got to minister to all these people. And the people who I thought never had problems, these strong warriors that feel like they're unchinkable, they were struggling. I, I took my team down. I lead a, a, a staff of... 75 people. I took 20 of them to uh, Paris Island uh, this past April. Paris Island is where normal people become Marines. And uh, we got to spend some de- the day with drill instructors. 
They weren't yelling at us. They yelled at us for like 10 seconds, and that was scary. Um, but we spent the day with them, and, and we, I asked them, I said, hey, what makes a good leader? I thought these guys would say hard, strong, fast. I, I thought that they would say great command of people. You know what they started saying? When they care for me. When someone cares enough to do their job well, that I don't have to pick up their slack. When leaders don't just care about what I do, but who I am. You ever meet a six foot two ripped martial arts instructor who's a who's a uh, um, a drill instructor who's telling you that he just wants someone to care for him? Dang, we all can do that. You can do that. Third thing to the Phillips in the room: tell the good news of Jesus. Tell the good news of Jesus. And what that means is this. Share your testimony of what God has actually done in your life. I was talking to a mom, and uh, she was a teacher at a local Christian school. This is a few weeks ago after church, and she was struggling with her daughter who's in college. She's starting to fall away and um, start to party more, drink more, um, hooking up, do the whole crazy thing. And she's just like, man, I want her to come back to God. I've been praying for her. And then I... I don't know why, but I felt convicted to ask her this. I said, have you ever told her your real testimony? You know, she said, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I can't do that. The greatest sermon I ever, told, I ever heard in my life was after one of my dad's secrets came out. My dad was one of the most faithful guys I've ever met in my life. His secret came out, and he told me, like, how God redeemed him from that. Best sermon I ever heard in my life. And sometimes as Christians, we want to act like we're perfect. We have it all together. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. Yeah, by his stripes we are healed. But by our scars is our testimony. So when you share what God has actually done in your life, it helps people see Jesus shining through you. So that's the Phillips in the room. One more slide, and then we're going to pray get out of here and do some more worship. Uh, to the eunuchs in the room, to those who are searching for faith, I got three things for you. We've all been on the journey for what's missing. And I would contend, even for those who have faith, we're still on a journey of trying to figure it all out. And so one of the things that the enemy wants to do in your life is isolate you to convince you that you're the only one who's messed up. But stay on the journey. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. God heard the steps of the eunuch from Egypt to Jerusalem and decided to deploy an angel. He decided to deploy one of his most faithful preachers of the gospel to meet him right in his car. And if you are searching for God, God will do the same to you. God will send people your way to help guide you. And so, just want to let you know, for all those eunuchs in the room, we've all been on the journey for what's missing. Second thing I would tell you, invite others into your search for understanding. One of the things the eunuch did was he was smart enough to know that he didn't know everything. And it's time we stop hiding and say, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, I don't really know. Hey, I really struggle reading the Bible. How do I do this? Hey, I, I don't really get why people raise their hands in church. 
Why do I need to sing in church? I'm not a singer. I've never prayed out loud. What's the power in praying out loud? Like, I know y'all want me to be in the small group thing. Why do I do that? You said 10% is a tithe? You mean that old book told me that? That's more than my red Ford F-150 platinum truck payment every month. And asking honest questions is how we grow. And so invite others in to your story. Third thing is this. Let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you the good news. So if you're in the room searching for faith, I'd love to tell you the good news right here, right now. And guess what? You can act on it. I gave my life to Jesus at the age of six. Um, I remember going to the altar. What I can't remember is that my dad said I went six weeks in a row because I had some real sin I was struggling with. <laughs> I was really messing up at six. Um, but I saw something in my parents that I wanted. I saw her walking with him for myself at the age of 12. Um, I've had highs in my life. I've had lows in my life. I've had moments where I'm like, God, how did, how did I get here? How did you place me here? And I've had moments of like, man, I thought I was better than this. But he's never forsaken me. I am a Christian today because in 1952, two missionaries went to my dad's house and they knocked on his door. My dad was one of 11 and they invited him to a revival meeting. And because of two five foot tall women, the Mason twins from Indiana, my family received Jesus Christ. And I share that. I go back a generation to share that with you because the decision you're making privately will send a ripple effect in your family's life, in your friend's life for generations to come. And so while your decision is private, it always sends a public ripple effect. Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price 2,000 years ago so you don't have to walk with the pain of your sins, the stuff that you willfully have done, the stuff that you never thought you'd ever do, all that, he paid the price for it, and all you do is receive it. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that means whoever. It doesn't matter what you've done. The cross of Jesus Christ can clean it all. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The book of Acts is a book that talks all about what happened with the early church after Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. They hung him to the cross as a common criminal, yet he never committed one sin in his life. But three days later, after he died, he rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty right now. And he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit to rest and abide and live in your heart so you could be free. And so you've been searching and hearing these words, that's the Holy Spirit. You've been searching and feeling like, I got to be in church today. That's the Holy Spirit. You're feeling in the moment right now that you need to surrender your heart to Jesus. 
And I would love to lead you in a simple prayer to do that. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, you can repeat this after me. And for the benefit of those who are coming to God in this moment, we're going to say it out loud together because we are a family. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. So today, I surrender my sins and receive your freedom, receive your love, and receive your hope. Father, I pray that today we will get in position knowing that you are the same God of Acts. You are the same God that is walking in St. Louis. Come here. Come now. We thank